0: There's a multi-billionaire down in Springfield who has two different sports teams in the city of Chicago asking for a billion-dollar handout so he can build his second baseball stadium in his tenure as owner. Remember, the stadium before that, 80 years for the Baseball Palace of the World.
1: Right. 80 80 years. It saw multiple leagues. It saw all-star games being invented. It saw all-star games being played. Two world wars. Two world wars. I
0: mean... Saw a lot. Saw saw a lot. This one here, uh, if everything goes to plan, will do about half of that lifespan. But he needs a billion dollars. I'm going to tell you, like, look, it ain't my. Well, it is my money because I'm a taxpayer, right? So if if I'm asked about it or if it becomes a thing where I run into one of my representatives here, I'm going to tell him I think it's ridiculous that you're going to give this guy a billion dollars. So I'm completely against it. But but in the end, do I really believe that this little man here sitting at his nine-foot homemade oak bar or you over there has any influence over whether or not a billionaire gets a, a billion dollar handout? No. So whatever happens, happens. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stress about it, I'm not gonna yell about it on this show. I just find it to be absurd. Like so many things in this world are absurd. Like we have the two oldest presidential candidates ever likely facing each other. For the next election, like I find that to be absurd. Like I, I, like everything about life can be just absurd if you look at the if you look at the people that have all the money and all the power. It's crazy, and that's kind of how I look at the whole thing with the with the stadium deal. If he gets a billion dollars, I'm gonna shrug and say, "Well, another thing in the in a long list of absurdities that I've seen in my life."
1: You're, you're <laughs> I hate to sound ageist here, but you're talking about old people doing things how they've always done it, right? This is this is this is Jerry being an old rich man who knows that you don't get to be an old rich man without bilking the public a little bit here and there, right? You you get wealthy on the backs of other people. I'm sorry to say that, and it sounds awfully political and stuff, but, yeah, we've got old people trying to control the money, old people trying to hold on here, and, and Jerry is that, okay? He is trying to hold on to relevance. The whole idea of building a new stadium is really so that there is a Jerry Reinsdorf goodwill feeling something that he's left behind that he could be really proud of because we have spent eh, you know the past thirty years kind of trashing the current stadium in uh, I'm still ways.
0: I'm still gonna trash him if he gets a brand new stadium. I also think that this billionaire is in open collusion with the other billionaires in the American League Central. I looked it up on Spot Track. It's staggering. The first fourteen teams in major league baseball are above the league average, which includes the Colorado Rockies folks. They're above the league average in payroll. Meanwhile, the bottom half of baseball includes every American League central team. The White Sox coming in at 15th highest payroll are below league average. The Twins are at 16th. The Tigers are at 20th. The Royals are at 24th. And the Guardians are at 26th right now. Now, if that is an open collusion of a group of owners sitting around saying, well, I'm not going to spend money. Are you going to spend money? Let's not spend money. I mean, why aren't the twins spending money right now? It's crazy to me that they're not putting a few more dollars in and trying to win a division and then make a run in the postseason. They're like primed for it. Like, don't even talk about the White Sox. Why aren't they interested, right? Like, look what the Royals did. They have a new stadium coming, so they gave a ton of money to Bobby Wood Jr., but they're ranked 24th highest and they're below $100 million in payroll this year. Like, like, to me, that's the thing that really bothers me this week is looking at the idea that you have an entire division in Major League Baseball that is not spending above the league average collectively. Nobody even bats an eye at it. It's, it's terrible for all these fan bases that, that, that all of them are treated the way that they're treated. And you can't tell me looking at the history of how this division is run and how easy it is every year for teams to go out and play in it because nobody steps up and says, I'm taking this division. You can't tell me. I mean, I have no proof. I understand, right? I understand the legality of saying this is just my opinion, but give me a break. I honestly in my soul believe these guys all get on a phone call with each other or go through intermediaries and talk about we're not going to go over this level because it's ridiculous to look at the fact you have an entire division in Major League Baseball below league average and payroll here as spring training begins.
1: Well, and you can sit there and say, like, this is this is a terrible year for, for free agents, and there, there really isn't any money – that you wanted that the teams really wanted to spend. I mean you you hear horror stories coming out of uh the Scott Boris camp that you can't call about Jordan Montgomery right now because he makes you talk about Blake Snell first because he's got to get him signed before he'll even deal with his other client. And you hear things about how these ridiculous demands for the top end free agents four of which are still under Boris control not signed. You've watched but you you've watched guys, you know, viable guys like um Hun uh, Jin Ryu just went back to Korea, okay? He he came back from injury last year. He looked okay. It wasn't his underlying numbers weren't great or whatever, but there's a reasonably priced starting pitcher, like a, a guy that has a track record of success in the majors would have liked to have been on a team, and he's going to go back to Korea now because nobody really wanted to give him anything. But do you
0: believe that any of those five teams are ready to go out and get any of those players?
1: Because it that's, doesn't that's seem that's like that's they my, are. That's where I'm going with this is, is that – it doesn't make sense, though, that these teams—I mean, I understand Like the Guardians are a young team. They're all cheap. Most of their core players are cheap, but they have the opportunity to go out and then make a splash, right? There should be room for them to do that, to put them over the top, to go back and win this division because they have some good pitching you know, in their rotation, some good young pitching, but having another established guy, because Shane Bieber's a little shaky, having another established guy would have made a lot of sense, right, and and throwing some money or going after and getting somebody in a trade, like going after Corbin Burns, even though he's an expensive guy, he would have made sense for the Guardians. And, there, you know, you can sit there and say, we have a young team, we have a cheap payroll because of that but why aren't you trying to put yourself over the top and you're right you're absolutely right the twins are not that the twins should be spending money the twins should be adding to their payroll they let guys walk this year that they didn't want to pay so there you know there's there's a lot of question marks around that and i think some of it too you know one it could be collusion like you said but two the other thing is is that if i'm if i'm these teams in the AL Central and i'm looking at What should be the dominating team, I am going to bring this back to the White Sox, I'm looking at the one major market team that's in my division that should be destroying us every year, that should be in the top, at least the top half of payroll, if not the top 10 in payroll every year, and should be ruining their chances for the rest of the AL Central every single year, unless they catch lightning in a bottle and have a whole bunch of prospects hit at once.
0: Oh, the, the Sox should be perennially the the favorite the every single be. year because of the fact yes. they're in the Chicago market. And don't cry poor about what's going on in the South Side or Jerry needs a new stadium to do it. He's been the owner for four decades. He may be good at real estate, but he's really bad at realizing that if he were to put together a competitive team, he would make more money. He's really bad at the business of baseball.
1: And he has been, and so I, I. don't. If I'm Detroit, if I'm their ownership, I don't. I don't know if I, you know. First of all, how much Little Caesars can you sell? But if <laughs> I, if I'm the ownership there, I'm sitting there going, I don't know if I really want to break my bank because I can compete in this division without doing it. And if you're the Royals, the Royals are another team. I don't understand. You're right. They're willing to give Bobby Witt Jr. all that money, but they're signing bargain basement free agents and they're going to try and compete with lesser guys. But the problem is, is that with all of that, it, it's it's the Jerry Reinsdorf, and here's where, I don't know if it's active collusion or if it's just, you know, Jerry spreading a cancer throughout this division, of the idea that you can compete in the division every year and keep for the 162-game season. You can keep everybody in the fan base interested, all right? But you don't necessarily have to go out and buy a World Series because you are not. You think you're not going to compete with the Dodgers who just went out and just went superstar hunting this offseason. Right. Okay. As long as you're Yankees. competing
0: and you come in second place and you can right. save a little bit of money. I mean, it's not like it's not like we don't have a former GM and, and president in baseball operations and David Sampson who hasn't said it over and over again, including on this show, that that was Jerry Reinstor's philosophy and that he's told him that directly. So, I mean, like it's not like that hasn't been uttered. Whether or, not it's, whether or not it's true or not, it has been uttered by somebody who you would you would actually put some stock into what he said.
1: Doesn't the AL Central look like a collection of teams that all want to fish, finish second place to each other?
0: Yes, it's exactly what it looks like. And this episode of Sox in the Basement and every episode of this podcast for fans, by fans, brought to you by the place for White Sox pregame, postgame, and in-game viewing parties, Cork and Carey at the Park. Get over there right now and register for free. You could be heading to Hawaii. The drawing is on March the 15th. You can actually register at 33rd and Princeton at Cork and Carey at the Park or at the original location at 106th and Western. That place is going to be live on Parade Day, March 17th for the Southside Irish Parade. I'm trying to get Ed to come out there this year. I'm out there every year. I want him to join me. But the trip to Hawaii brought to you by Kona Brewing and Cork and Carry. $5 Kona's on draft right now at both locations. See more at corkandcarry.com. You hear Chris Getz, and I don't blame Getz for this at all. I go back to the idea that we have a guy who has to deal with whatever his owner gives him. And Chris Getz had to go on the corporate podcast, which, of course, is owned by a media company that is majority owned by Jerry Reinstorf. And Chuck asked him about the payroll, And he gave the best answer you could probably give. In fact, I kind of liked the answer. It was very inventive. It was different from lawyer speak that we used to get with Rick Hahn, which is, well, why spend money until we know exactly what we have? We have all these prospects. We have all these guys that it's their last chance, really, out of the group that was the core. Let's just see what we got. And then, of course, once we know what we've got, we know what we need to spend on. Why spend on something that if we actually have it already on this team? And the follow-up question was essentially, well, does that mean you're spending next year? And it was it was basically possibly. And I would have liked it to have been, of course, right? I just don't know if he could say that. But like, of course. It, it I mean, I think everything coming out of camp tells me that this is a quick turnaround. You're hearing, you're hearing Barfield say it. You're you're hearing all these guys that he brought in, right? Bannister saying it. Like, this is essentially like, we're we're gonna flip this. Right, like we're gonna we're gonna get the right guys in here, get things going in the right direction. This is not gonna be a three four year long thing. Look at all these veterans we have in camp that are probably taking jobs. So I believe that it means, of course, but he probably thinks that like he's not sure, right? I mean, like how
1: can he be sure with Jerry Reinsdorf as his owner? Yeah, one one you don't know what Jerry's gonna give you budget wise next year because he could suppress the payroll just be by being a cheapskate and just just doing what we've 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 been accusing Jerry of for forty years. The other part of it too is 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 realistically and I'll play a little devil's advocate and and, and back up Gets here for a second even though I actually agree that I think that's just him trying to come up with an inventive answer and it's not really indicative of of where you want to hear your GM but to 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 kind of go back and advocate for Gets a little bit as a GM there are really two reasons why you spend money one is because there's a player in free agency or, or available via, via trade that you're taking on payroll that fits a need that your team has. Okay, so it, it's, it's some something lacking on your roster that you can do, or it represents an improvement over something where you find it to be a weakness, where you have a guy that's there that you're okay with, but you could do better, right? Or it's a player that you, you would intend to build around, okay? So if they were to go out, for example— and say, we are going to invest in Cody Bellinger. And I don't know that you want to, and I don't want to no, get into No, I don't think I want to. Uh, well, well, hold on, but I don't I don't want to get into to, to whether or not you'd want to do that. But let's just say, you know what, let's forget Bellinger and, and take it out of the present because there's really no guy like this. But let's say it was Bryce Harper, okay? If they had offered Bryce Harper a contract and committed the dollars that Bryce Harper wants, he wants to be a lifelong Philly now, so you're not going to get a chance with him. But if they had done with him what the Phillies did, it's because you want to build around him, okay? Because he's that kind of a talent where you sit there and go, okay, this is a guy that it doesn't matter if we've got a good right fielder or left fielder or center fielder. This is a guy that we want on this team somewhere, okay? That guy, we're not going to be able to beat that guy, so we're going to invest a ton of money. So the question becomes, what's going to be out there that the White Sox are either a) going to want to build around, which I haven't seen this off and I don't, I don't know that there's anything next off season that you're going to look at and sit there and go salivating like, oh, they got to have that guy. Or what's an improvement? Now, to his point, how do you know what's an improvement until you know what you have? If you can sign and extend Mike Soroka next year because he's gone back to what he was with the Braves pre-injury, then that is essentially a free agent signing for the White Sox. Okay, If you end up extending Eric Fetty because the changes that he's made to his mechanics and, and the changes that he's made to his pitch selection are such that he becomes the ace-level guy that he showed in Korea— and you want to spend money on him, that's that's that is still spending the money, okay? It's just you're doing it in-house. We don't see the White Sox extend guys ever, really. We see them sign contracts to avoid arbitration, but we don't see them extending pitchers, we don't see them re-signing their own free agents. That was a Han thing, too, right? Where once that's why Dylan Sees has to quote quote unquote has to be traded, okay? Because there's no way we're ever gonna extend that guy. I understand it's a Boris thing, too, but. That's that's just the idea. So when the money is going to be spent, it could be spent in free agency, but it could also be sitting here saying, like, no, you know what? We're going to make sure that we found this guy. We're going to make sure that we stick with him. Okay? We found this guy. We're going to make sure that he's with this team going forward. And from a pitching standpoint, sometimes it is. Extending the guys that are in-house that have proven it to you, and sometimes it's sitting there going, okay – There's a Jordan Montgomery sitting out there right now that I would love to have as my number two or three starter, and I'm going to invest dollars in him.
0: And that's the thing. like, That's the only thing that he could go out and do right now is sign a pitcher to a three-year deal or four-year deal that would make sense right now. Next year, there's a big crop of pitchers. There's a lot of starting pitchers next year. And uh, if and when uh, Yuan Mankata doesn't have a five-war season to justify the $24.8 million he's getting paid this year, I mean, you could make a run with all this payroll room and Alex Bregman, but right now, saying it out loud, I feel like there's something wrong with me mentally because that would be that would mean that the White Sox would actually have to give somebody a contract over $100 million. But, I mean, he does have right. possibilities in the right, next right, offseason right. And if he does have to deal with an owner that, like Jerry Reinsdorf, he has to find all the value first. And when we're talking about value, and by the way, that Mankata thing, just by the, just, just a, a note as I jump into this next, this next portion of the show. The average win above replacement in last season was $5.7 million. Every win above replacement cost an average of $5.7 million. That's league-wide? League-wide. So for hitters, pitchers were different. They cost right, a little right. bit more, okay. But for hitters, and and Yohan Moncada would have to have just just about a four point four win above replacement season to justify the twenty four point eight million dollars. So with all the hype coming out of spring training with him, right? Like Aloya Menes is like, even last year he knew he needed to go out and work really hard this year and be the best he could be. Wouldn't it have been great if he would have felt that way a couple years ago? Wouldn't it be great if if if, if you know he just yeah, did that for his entire right, right. career. But it's contract year Mankata, right? And in 2019, he was over that threshold. So it's not like it's impossible for him to go and do it. And then you'll have the very interesting offseason conversation of, do you want to give him another $25 million? Do you think he'll do it again? So I, like, it, he'll be interesting to watch. But my standards for what he needs to do is a lot higher than he hit a couple of home runs in his first batting session in spring training and get ready for contract year Moncada to have a six-worst season. I I don't buy it, and I'm not buying it until I see the guy go out and play. Like, this whole thing, like, I'm going to get 150 games in. Prove it, all right? Because every time you get a hangnail, you're done for two weeks. There's always, like, an itch. There's always, like, a like a strain. My legs, my back, my back, and my legs. I mean, I've, I've gotten tired of it as a fan. I'm sorry if I sound like a like a jerk picking on a guy. He may maybe he's the most wonderful guy in the world, but I don't want to hear about best shape of my life and I'm going to do 150 games. And I'm really focused this year as opposed to all the other years. I, I I just don't want to hear it. But when I look at the rest of the the players on this roster and I see the quotes coming out early on in camp, I am convinced your bench is going to be a veteran bench of a lot of non roster invitees. Like that, Maldonado and Stassi are definitely your catching battery. And when you look at the when you look at the other three likely bench spots, Kevin Pilar is gonna make the team. I think that Mike Mustakis, I heard his quote basically like, I need to make the team. Like he looks super focused. I think that guy's taking Gavin Sheets' job.
1: He might he might take a lot from Gavin Sheets. He might be driving Gavin Sheets' car by the right. end of it. He <laughs> right. might just steal
0: his identity right. in general. Yeah, he might take everything from him. And then and I and Danny Mendick, I'm sorry. Watch out for the dark horse of Danny Mendick making the team and being on the bench. I really, do, I really do feel like you're going to have a lot of guys on this team, and you're going to say, wait a minute, this doesn't look like a rebuild roster. Why aren't we playing the young guys? And I just don't think that's what they're going to end up doing. I think the, the, the rotation is so interesting to me because we did a poll on Twitter, Ed, and I, I wanted to get your reaction real quick on this. I, I asked people, like, who do you think is going to win out at certain things? You know, just a little one, just a quick straw poll. Wasn't up for very long. Not a, not a ton of votes. But I mean, like, just got like a taste of what Sox fans were thinking. I think the majority of White Sox fans feel like that Mike Mustakis is going to is going to end up on the team. I found that to be very interesting. Most people are kind of agreeing with what I'm saying here that the these are the guys you'll probably see. Dominic Fletcher is probably going to be the starting right fielder. But when I asked the question, assuming Cease, Fede, and Soroka make the starting rotation, pick one of these four pitchers you want most in the starting five. And it was between. Kopech, Flexen, Crochet, or the field. And Kopech with 65% of the vote. I think White Sox fans really want a guy who's in his seventh year to finally prove something. And I, I want it too. But I, I think that those, that four and that five spot are the most intriguing things about camp to me. Because you have, again, 14 pitchers, take those three off, 11 guys fighting for three spots. I think Flexen's more assured of getting in there than Michael Kopech. And he's got to have a really good spring for the White Sox to say, okay, fine, we're not moving you to the bullpen
1: yet, even though that's where I think he ends up. Well, like you said, prove it over the course of seven years, okay? So uh, when we're talking about some of these guys that we have we have lived and died with their prospect status, the fact that they haven't panned out, I think there's some some thought process here amongst White Sox fans, like Michael Kopeck's still a young guy. He's not, okay? Dylan Cease isn't really all that young of a guy. I mean, he is, but he's not. And... you're you're kind of talking about Kopech like, well, he's still got all this upside and potential. What has he shown? Really? I mean, really, what has he shown since his prospect status changed when he started pitching in the major leagues that makes you think he is a complete package front of the line starting pitcher? Chris Flexen has had at least one season as a full-time starter where he was not only viable, he was actually competent and really pretty good. He was a pitch-to-contact guy who needed defense behind him, but guess what the White Sox are set up to be, right? They're set up to be a good defensive team behind a guy that pitches to contact. So when you're talking about Michael Kopech, I mean, as a fan, yeah, I'd love to see the return on investment. I would love to see that the Chris Sale trade actually mattered, because right now, it's given you years of disappointment for the two guys, the two guys you got back that were supposed to be the, the, you know, the, the top of this team, but in reality, you know, if you're Pedro Gafral, you're probably sitting there going, I like the fact that Flexen's actually done it. I There's nothing that says that Michael Kopech can pitch 180 innings and, you know, provide league average or above starts in that entire time. Flexen's done it, right? I, I mean, it's, it's just it's factual that he has, he has actually performed at that level. It's the same thing with Garrett Crochet. Except Crochet has never gotten the chance to start and gotten a chance to show that. Okay, and the other young guys that are vying for it, there's some guys like Davis Martin. When he's finally healthy, he has shown that he can actually be a pretty good starting pitcher in the league when he's given a chance.
0: The guy that the guy that sticks out to me is Jared Schuster. I think if you take and Jared Sh- Schuster yeah. and what he did in the minors and his short stint with Atlanta last year, I, even I know he's got options and all that other stuff. But Jared Schuster as a left-handed starter uh, who just came over in that deal where you got five guys for Aaron Bummer, which I still think was great. But th- that's a guy that you can compare very easily to Michael Kopech. Oh, yeah. And, and he, has, he doesn't have the years of disappointment attached to him. Like, he still actually has more potential than what Kopek has because you've seen so much out of him. There are names on this roster right now that if they beat out Michael Kopech and he ended up in the bullpen... I wouldn't be shocked by it. I know that right no, now, early no, on, no. it's the hype train, right? Like Michael Kopech's 20 pounds lighter, and he's working with Brian Bannister, and he's, he's feeling really positive, and you want to believe it, right? You want to believe that as a fan. Just as much as I want to believe that Aloya Menez is going to not only be healthy, but he's just going to go out and hit 40 bombs, right? That, that as well, he said, I mean, he and it. Luis Robert Jr. are going to be the guys that are going to have to kind of, like, you know, lead this team. Yeah, I want that. I've been waiting for it, Right. But I also look at a guy like Hopek and think to myself, okay, well, but you might not be that. You might be what Scott Merkin talked about with the idea of guys can have big springs and then not actually perform during the season. And, and it'll be something that I'll be watching as a fan. Are you putting the right guys in the right position coming out of spring training to try to win? And if somebody stumbles in the first month or two, are you going to move them? Or you still feel this allegiance? I haven't seen it from gets that he feels allegiance to anybody, which again makes this so interesting over the next couple of months. Socks in the basement out there supporting small business. You can do so as well. Go to socksinthebasement.com. Look on the menu bar. Click on store. You can also look in the show notes for this episode. There are links in there. One of the companies you will see when you click through to the Saxon Basement store, Split Rock Coffee. Owned by veterans, benefiting veterans, traditional coffees, and cold brews. Check it out. Camp Craft Cocktails also makes it very easy for you to be an at-home bartender. And now new to the store, the Nimble XLR Percussion Massage Gun. I think I saw one of those devices on the latest Curb Your Enthusiasm this weekend.
1: See it all at SoxintheBasement.com. You're talking about allegiance to Michael Kopech. Where where should the allegiance lie with him? Because he it's not like this is a guy that provided you with outstanding starting pitching. This is a guy who was pretty good in the bullpen for Tony Larusa for one year and was a pretty useful weapon, but also couldn't stay healthy. He's never been able to stay healthy. He's either had arm problems or he's had leg problems the entire time. Okay, and you watch him and you just wonder. Can he hold up? He showed up 20 pounds lighter. I don't recall anybody saying that Michael Kopeck looked fat last year. <laughs> all right? Or that that was the problem or that he was carrying too much on his frame. He, he's a tall, lanky guy. And, and you know, understand pitching mechanics, okay? And this is this is something I was thinking about because people were saying, well, why didn't we re-sign Liam Hendricks to have, let him, you know, uh, rehab? Or why wouldn't we sign Brandon Woodruff to let him rehab? Understand what Michael Kopeck is. Now, he's had his elbow done. And the elbow... Is that's that's torque, okay? That's that's where you get your RPMs. That's where you get your spin. All right. So when you get that stabilized with Tommy John surgery, really what you're coming back to is you're coming back to an elbow that's much much stronger and more stable because it's got a brand new you know it's, it's got brand new parts in it, and so pitchers tend to come back and they tend to have the RPMs and the spin rate, which Copec does. Control, if you never had it, you're not going to get it after Tommy John because you feel it. Your whole arm would feel different, right? Your forearm and your hand and all that working together off of that ligament, it's going to feel a little bit different. So, you know, like Liam Hendricks, next year is not going to be terribly effective for the Red Sox when he does come back because it's going to take him a while. He hasn't pitched in two years. It's going to take him a while to find his control, and we always watch Liam Hendricks lose control anyway, right? And that's been Kopech's deal. He, he doesn't spot his pitches particularly well and never has. And the power for him comes from his legs and comes from the shoulder. That's any pitcher. Your shoulder and your lower body is what gives you the velocity. So Kopech's got that length and he's got the ability to, you know, get that arm going and get that great velocity and extension. But he keeps blowing out his hammy and he keeps tweaking a knee and he keeps doing that. And, and again, so he showed up lighter. But are you, are you stronger? Are you more flexible? Are you going to hold up? Okay, that's what the problem is too is – Kopech, if he comes in and has a great spring, but he still just throws fastballs, he still just throws sliders, and he relies on guys to chase because he can't spot them and he doesn't have a third pitch, he's not a viable starting pitcher and he never will be at that point until he does something like reinvent himself like Eric Fetty did. So if he's working with Bannister and he comes in and now he's got a changeup, he's got that Logan Webb split change that Fetty's going to feature as well, and he's going to pitch to contact and he's going to be a ground ball guy who could also rush it up there, that's different. That's a different guy, but you can't do that in spring. And when you hear guys come in with a pitch and come in with a change, it's something that they have done over the off season. They have developed. Uh, you know, I, I've been reading guys have developed split finger pitches that on the Mariners because they were watching how you know their teammates did with it last year, or you know, Fetty coming in and working with Logan Webb and learning that changeup. I haven't heard anything about that with Kopech. All I've heard is, is that you know he still has electric stuff. And we know. We know he's got velocity. We know he's got the spin rate. But he's never shown control. He's never shown stamina. So tell me tell me what changes. And then if you don't have any allegiance to a guy like that, that's fine because throws hard and has a good slider is a dime a dozen. The Sox just traded a guy who throws hard and has a good slider in Gregory Santos to get back a guy who throws hard has a decent slider and, a, and an outfielder. I, I mean, wish, like, so I, wish I
0: threw hard and had a decent slider. My life would be very different right now. Like yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm left-handed, yeah. so you think I would be? <laughs> good God, I'd be on easy street. When you hear Pedro talk about his leadoff hitter, and I think it's going to be Andrew Benintendi because it's like really oh, there's, too. there's a bunch of guys, but he mentions Benintendi, and I think Benintendi makes the most amount of sense. And then you you see, I mean, I think anybody with a brain realizes your best two hitters theoretically, are going to be Robert Jr. and Jimenez.
1: With with a chance for Andrew Vallon, I think, still to join that conversation. Okay,
0: but he doesn't run very well, so I don't want him in the two spot.
1: No, 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 no. Okay,
0: and I look at guys who can run, and if we do have contract year Moncada or if they do see a spark in him during spring training, do you start the year with him sitting in the two spot or at least whatever combination you're going to use? And honestly, I'm one of those people that – you know i used to be an old school guy and it's like you know your frank thomas bats third that like that's your best guy is in the three spot well over the years now a lot of people put their best guy two i wouldn't care if they had robert junior two i wouldn't care if they had him three i wouldn't put him four if if you want to go old school and have a guy that's got some speed that isn't your best hitter in the two spot as long as it gets the robert in the three spot fine then that's likely on Moncada cuz he's got a little bit more speed right and I also I also look at I don't know if you want to put it on the young guy in Dominic Fletcher who still isn't assured of a job even though I think that's his job to lose in right field but the guy does hit for a high average right so i mean he might be generally i want a guy that's going to going to get on base in that two spot who doesn't need to have a ton of power and that's the one thing you've talked about with that guy doesn't have a ton of power but could be on base when the guy with the power gets up there so i find it to be very interesting like we're going to be we're going to be looking at guys that are going to make the team. But then you're also going to be looking at, okay, well, how's he going to construct his lineup? And I'm wondering whether or not that's running through your head right now because I look at it as, okay, fine. Ben Intendi, that's who he feels comfortable with in the one spot. I liked when they had to use him up there. He he was more effective than any other option that we had last year in that spot. So, okay, fine. And then I look at that two spot and I say, is it Moncada? Is it Robert up high because he gets the most amount of bats if he's sitting two? Or is it a guy like Fletcher who throughout his entire career high high batting average, really good on base percentage, and the only knock on him is that he's a guy who hits doubles more than he's going to hit home runs.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that that's where it's it's going to come down to. My problem with the lineup right now is I'm going through it, and like you said, as you're trying to imagine it, I can. I mean, I you know, Aloy Jimenez hitting fourth versus Andrew Vaughn hitting fourth. Eh, I don't know who's hot, right? Where do you place Mo Yon Really, you he's, think
0: that I you think that Jimenez is is basically equal to Vaughn? I don't see it because I don't see Vaughn no. having the power numbers.
1: No, I I don't see Vaughn hitting the power numbers, but I think Vaughn in terms of in terms of contact and and clogging the bases, I think there's an equivalency there. I think Jimenez will probably hit fourth for the most part as long as he's as, long as he's on the field and as long as he's actually hitting, which we've sometimes seen him struggle at the plate too. But you know, and and my point is, is that I don't know that it's going to move the needle one way or the other. You know, for sort of the middle of the order guys, which are Moncada, Vaughn, and Jimenez, where you put them. I think the top of the order guys, you know, Robert three versus Robert two, it does create more of an interesting thought of like, what do you do at the two spot if it's Robert in the three hole? And Fletcher makes sense, but but you know, the problem I have is, is that you're sort of limited in what you can do because. Your catchers and your two middle infielders are, bad. are all bad all at the number player. they're all number nine hitters. You've got like
0: I mean, it's terrible down there. The seven, eight, nine is terrible down there at the bottom of the order. De Young and and Lopez and Maldonado or or Max Stassi. I mean, like that's that's bad at the bottom of the order.
1: Yeah, and Maldonado will will not hit. By the way, he never has. That's
0: why I wonder who your six hitter is because your six hitter is going to have no protection. Your six hitter has to get behind the five hitter and has to at least make a pitcher pitch to the five hitter. But the six hitter is going to have the worst run. So do you want to make life easier on a guy like Andrew Vaughn or or Johan Moncada, who have been in the majors for a long time and probably should be more capable of batting with less protection behind them? Or do you sacrifice up this young guy that you brought in to play right field? if he makes the team and is a starting right fielder and then say, okay, kid, you're going to bat six now with these three behind you. I mean, what are his chances for any kind of success in getting used to major league baseball? So, I mean like that, that I think has to be a question for Pedro as well.
1: Well, yeah. And, and I honestly think what you're going to see is you're going to see like, you're going to see Paul DeYoung, at least at the start of the year, assuming that he wins the shortstop job, you're going to see him in the middle of the order higher up than you expect to see him based on what he's done recently because they're they're going to try and protect him a little bit and let him sort of recapture what he once was with the with the with the Cardinals you know why he keeps getting these chances is his defense but he used to have some power right and that was that was his thing so you're going to I think they're going to try and protect him up there and he's going to have the protection of having i, I if Moncada's not in the two hole then I think he's down there okay and then the question is it does Moncada or if it if it does happen to be Vaughn does he get the protection of Dominic Fletcher, or is Fletcher up in the two hole? And I think you're going to see a little bit of, you're going to see a little bit of of moving parts there too, because if they're not going to play Fletcher against lefties, if it's going to be a, a, more of a strict platoon, and you're going to see Pilar in there, or if they're going to, you know, try and move in some other parts, if you're going to see Mike Mustakis play, okay, and and get some at bats against righties, and how they're going to work that in. I think there's going to be some moving parts towards the bottom there, but I think what it's going to come down to is if Nicky Lopez and Paul DeYoung want to keep a job long term, they're going to have to be at least league average, which would help the bottom of that order.
0: And you have to have somebody who's a good middle infielder who can play shortstop on your bench for the inevitable pinch hit late in the game of DeYoung or Lopez. Like you have to do, and I think it's kind of like everybody keeps saying, well, it's a lost year, right? It's a it's a lost year. You can't win any games. All right, fine. I'm not gonna go in thinking that way. Let's see what they can do in this terrible division with a bunch of owners that won't spend money together. Let's actually see. These are things I'm looking at for a manager that I think should have been fired before the season started. Okay. What is your philosophy? How are you going to maximize whatever you're given by the front office and the ownership? What are you going to do with these guys? Because these are real questions. And and you wonder, I mean, this is the question that hopefully is asked of Getz at some point. Who's making the lineups? How in lockstep are you guys? And, like, and because all of this stuff will matter this year, even if the season doesn't matter, even if they really are just building for next year, even if it's like, well, we got to see what we have, and then we may spend
1: money. We're aiming for fourth place here. <laughs> I want third. Maybe second. I think second I think second or third place in this division is very, very good. I, I think this is what I want. I want him out of
0: the gate quick. I want Colson Montgomery joining the team. I want lightning in a bottle, and all of a sudden they're in first place in the crappy division. That's what I want. I want that. I want the White Sox. I want Pedro on a microphone in July talking about the doubters and clearly referencing people like us. That's what I want. Right. I want right. every single prediction about this team being bad shoved in our faces. And I want a glib owner who didn't even spend above the league average talking about how he doesn't need to spend because, look, we just won the division. I want that. I'm not going to get it, but I want it.
1: Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks
0: in the basement. basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.